Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Scripture for this morning is from Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 31. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although The law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Please be seated. Stephen Crowley is the world's worst dad ever. Or that's what you might think if you believe the playfully photoshopped images of his daughter, Hannah, that went viral on Riddick two years ago and were featured on Mashable. Our response to such pictures is, what were you thinking? Would any parent do that to a child? Well, when people believe they can work, their way into heaven, and dismiss, add to, or minimize the person and work of Jesus, my response to such thinking is, what are you thinking? Many world religions are systems that believe they can buy through financial resources or good behavior the favor of God. Their salvation is autosoteric, self-salvation. The consequence of this failure is actually dangerous and is life-threatening. The doctrine of justification is something no one can afford to get wrong. B.B. Warfield, the notable Reformed theologian, states, There are fundamentally only two doctrines of salvation, the salvation that is from God and the salvation that is from ourselves. The former is the doctrine of common Christianity, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the latter is the doctrine of universal heathenism. The issue of one's justification isn't about being nice, 
but about being right. And the right we speak of isn't in the horizontal, but in the vertical. That is where the struggle and clarity is needed. And in such a study as this, I do not desire to be unkind, but neither do I desire to be unclear. Any individual or institution that believes or promotes an autosoteric ideology of justification, a works-based justification, is wrong. And that ideology is the doctrine of demons. When I speak of Roman Catholicism, I am not speaking of an individual, but of an institution. Your right relationship before and with the Father is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. As we have noted, Christianity as a religion did not occur in a vacuum. We have centuries of church history, and over those centuries, doctrine has developed and evolved. Most of our orthodox doctrines came about as a response to error. Many of the epistles written by the apostles were responses to problems arising in the early church. Our creeds and confessions came out of a similar process. As errors arose, there was a need to define and clarify exactly what Christians believed and what the Bible taught. Now, over the last handful of studies, we've been looking at the historical context in which the solas were birthed. Sola Scriptura, Sola Gracia, Sola Fide, then Sola Christus, and Sola De Gloria, the five solas. They are sourced in the Reformation. They were cataloged in the early 1900s, but they are the essence of our justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Our primary passage this morning is Romans chapter 3, 19 through 31, where those elements are celebrated. Leo the Tenth. The Pope, in 1517, needed funds to complete the building of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Leo entered into an arrangement that essentially sold indulgence franchises that allowed the franchisee to retain about half the funds raised by selling indulgences in return for sending to Rome the other half for Leo's construction project. So St. Peter's Basilica was pretty much built on the backs of those who were buying their way into heaven. This sale of indulgences in Germany took off with scandalous claims by those selling them. People were told that these indulgences would make them cleaner than Adam and Eve before the fall and had as much power as the cross. Those who wished to buy them for deceased loved ones were told as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. I was raised in the Roman Catholic tradition. I am quite familiar with this process. I was saved at the age of 17. At that time, I did leave the Roman Catholic institution. According to Catholicism, upon death, the souls of those who rejected Christ are sent to hell. The souls of those who accepted Christ and performed sufficient acts to be purified of sin go to heaven, although no one ever knew if they had done enough to go to heaven. In Roman Catholic theology, there is never any certainty as to whether one will or will not go straight to heaven. Those who died in faith but did not complete the steps to be purified are sent to purgatory, where they undergo temporary painful punishment until their souls are cleansed. Purification by torment may be lessened by suffering during life and the offerings, such as indulgences, buying a removal of punishment in purgatory, and prayers of others on the sinner's behalf. Once purification is complete, the soul may go to heaven, Again, 
no one ever knew if they had done enough to get out of purgatory and go to heaven. A modern-day Roman Catholic, and I've been at many Roman Catholic funerals, believes their deceased loved ones are in heaven. But their theology does not grant them this certainty. So if you are or were a Roman Catholic and someone passed that was a Roman Catholic, you would put them in heaven, but their theology does not allow them to go from where they are into heaven unless somehow they're an exceptional individual. They are only expressing a wishful thought, a wishful hope, but there is no certainty in Roman Catholic theology, and such is true in all religions except biblical Christianity. This teaching or this idea is, as is true of all autosoteric teaching, self-salvation, is a subjective means of perpetuating an uncertain cycle, leaving the penitent ambiguous as to finality. Is it possible for us to know when we die that we will be with Jesus? We have certainty why, sola scriptura. The scriptures teach that our justification, our right standing before the Father is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. In its historical context, it came to a head in 1517 when Pope Leo began selling indulgences in order to build St. Peter's Basilica. It was this that caused Martin Luther on October 31st, 1517, and there were a host of reasons as to why reform was necessary. But the 95 Theses of Martin Luther focus on the selling of indulgences. And in many ways, as we have already noted, it was this idea of justification that broke the camel's back. This morning, we wish to discuss and examine this idea of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we are looking at the biblical teaching of justification. How does a sinner become right before Yahweh, before God, the God of the cosmos? How does that happen? Biblical justification is the action of declaring a person righteous in the sight of God. Although a sinner, you become a saint. You are declared righteous by God, even though you are still a sinner. You are not made righteous in justification. It is imputation that makes one righteous, and thus you are a sinner and yet a saint. Luther maintained that the doctrine of justification by faith alone is the article on which the church falls or stands. John Calvin agreed with the urgency of the matter, saying it was the hinge on which everything turns. How can we who are sinners be right with God? Justification in its final analysis is a legal pronouncement from the voice of God. It is a legal declaration whereby God declares people to be just. Justification can only occur when God, who is just, becomes the justifier by declaring a person to be just in his sight. So right now, because I have placed my faith in the person and work of Jesus, based on no work of my own, God the Father, because of Jesus the Son, declares me righteous. I have a right legal standing before the Father. I have full and free access before the Father because of Jesus Christ, the Son. Amen? We are people who are leaning fully into the person and work of Jesus Christ. My desire this morning is to plainly teach one passage 
Romans 3, 21 through 31, beginning in verse 19. And there are five elements or parts to Paul's explanation of God's righteousness. This is God's righteousness, not ours. And then a threefold response or challenge by his audience in verses 27 through 31. And remember, the passage is about his righteousness. It's his righteousness that is being revealed, that is being defined, that is being appropriated, that is being supplied, that is being proclaimed. It is his righteousness, not ours. The imputation of that righteousness to us as his people is called a foreign righteousness. It is not something that is inherent or intrinsic to us. In fact, all of our works are as filthy rags. So you and I, when we stand before God and we give him reason for allowing us in, it is because of the work of another. Nothing in our hands we bring. Solely to the cross we cling. There are five things within our text that we will note in the following moments. His righteousness revealed... His righteousness defined what exactly are we talking about, the appropriation of that righteousness, the supplying of that righteousness, and then finally the proclamation of that righteousness. Because of what Jesus has done, God can be just in justifying us who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As a consequence of that, three questions are asked. Where then is our boasting? It is fully excluded. We've seen that as well last week. In Ephesians chapter 2. But let's begin by noting this idea of his righteousness revealed from the text of Scripture. In verses 21 and 22, the Bible says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Up until this point in Romans, the Apostle Paul has been speaking of law, but the law cannot save, the law cannot justify. And Paul now says clearly in verse 21, that the righteousness of God is going to be revealed or manifested apart from the law. And yet, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We have spoken of this often. We know that the Old Testament, in all of its promises, in all of its prophecies, is proclaiming Christ. The Old Testament, the law itself is but a shadow. And the substance is Jesus Christ. And the law... And the entire Hebrew scripture speaks in shadow of the very substance that is Jesus. Jesus is the substance to every shadow we see in the old covenant. Jesus Christ is the better Adam, the better Abraham, the better Moses, and the better David. He is the fulfillment of every law, every promise, every prophecy. Jesus is the promised seed, and he is the completion of the blood picture. We see repeated over and over again in the Old Testament... Jesus himself pointed out that every prophecy and promise given in the Hebrew scripture were about him. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Calvary lays out God's love for his people, but it is more than his love for us. Calvary, Calvary fixes the fall. So the Apostle Paul lays down this singular idea that now in time, the righteousness of God is going to be revealed. It was witnessed to by the law and the prophets, but is now being manifested and fully fulfilled in Christ. Now look at this idea of his righteousness defined. What exactly are we talking about? If you look in our passage, you see a repeating of words. You see the word righteousness. You see the word justified. 
The word righteousness is found in chapter 3, verse 21, occurs 30 times in the book of Romans. In our passage, it is found in the following verses, verse 5, verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, and verse 26. It occurs repeatedly, righteousness. It's also the word justified. The word justified and righteousness come from the same word family. What are we talking about when we speak of justification? It occurs throughout the text. The justification being spoken of in this passage is a legal declaration that's proclaiming the sinner sinless before God, the God of the cosmos. So when I stand before the Father, I stand before him sinless. He declares me as such. This legal declaration isn't earned by the sinner, but gifted by the Savior. There is no possible way that you and I can merit a sinless, righteous standing before the Father. We can never, ever do enough. It must be done for us. How do we appropriate this righteousness? Notice what happens within our text. Verses 22 and 23. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How do we appropriate his righteousness? We know that it is this legal declaration by God that allows us to stand before his presence sinless in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But how is this work appropriated to us? Well, notice what the text says. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. It is for all who believe. And we will see in verse 23, it is universally needed. As image-bearing individuals, we have the capacity of choice. But the idea that we recognize our sinfulness and see the provision and the person and work of Jesus for the saving of our souls is a gift of his grace. He enables and causes us to see ourselves for what we are, sinners in need of saving. God has designed us to appropriate his provision through means of faith. Faith is a knowledge of assent to and unreserved trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Saving faith sees itself, the sinner, for what they are and Jesus for what he is. When I think of my own salvation experience, why me? Why was it as a senior in high school that I saw myself for what I am, a sinner, and Jesus for what he is, the Savior. How in the world did that happen? I can assure you then and now I was not smart enough on my own to make that choice. So what is this saving faith? The only faith which unites a soul to salvation is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To put it into my own words, saving faith is a free and unmerited gift granted only to undeserving sinners according to God's sovereign grace through which we personally receive an irrevocable share in the full salvation accomplished for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. I take all that he is for me and God gives this to me and it is irrevocable. He will never, ever take it back. It is appropriated 
through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Jesus is the author and Jesus is the perfecter of faith. All faith within the one who believes was authored by Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, 29 says, It has been granted unto us to believe. Acts 3, verse 16 says, All faith in Christ is faith that has come from and through Jesus Christ. That is why we say it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is upon all who believe. I find the text intriguing. It is through faith in Christ for all who believe. It's a reoccurring theme throughout. Faith and believing are working synonyms within our text. But why is that so important? Well, verse 23 says it is universally needed. It says all have sinned a past fact. It is an aorist active indicative, means a point in time, and yet is a present reality coming short. All have sinned and come short. It is a present passive indicative, meaning it is something that continues to happen day in and day out. Every day the sinner is falling short of the glory of God. You and I, apart from Christ, sit in judgment. Sin creates a debt that we cannot pay. It creates a gap we cannot span, a vacuum we cannot fill, a shame or guilt we cannot cover, a stain we cannot remove, an alienation we cannot reconcile, and a weight we cannot lift. The Bible makes it very clear that this fallen nature afflicts all humanity. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's a pretty inclusive and damning statement. And then Romans 3.23, what we have read, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One of my prayers is that my grandchildren would come to understand just how sinful they are and they would seek the Savior. And you as a parent want your children to understand just how sinful you are and no matter how often you tell them how bad they are, they still want to believe they're good enough. And until people recognize that they can't, but only God can, they cannot be saved. Not only are we sinners, we are slaves to sin. We cannot do what needs to be done to be justified and reconciled to a holy God. God demands perfection and God hates sin. If God demands perfection and man is incapable of doing any good and is born into iniquity, what hope do we have? How are we going to be justified? How are we going to be right with God? How are we going to be saved? And how is our relationship with God going to be reconciled? Well, notice verse 24, and the language throughout this text is very graphic. He supplies for us his righteousness. Notice what it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. This same idea is stated in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which we've noted last week. For by grace have you been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. God himself made a way for mankind to be reconciled to him. He sent his only son to bear the penalty for sin. 
Jesus was born as a helpless babe and lived a sinless life in perfect obedience to his Father. He willingly went to the cross, bore all the sins of his people, endured the wrath of God on behalf of those whom God had given him. What God then does, we are incapable of doing. We are justified freely as a gift. The word gift in our text speaks without price. The word gift is found nine times in the New Testament in one of perhaps the best places in John 15, 25. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. God graces us without a cause. There's nothing we have done or will do for God to grace us. And he gifts us this incredible priceless object that you and I in and of ourselves could never earn through work or merit. It is freely given as a gift. It is grace-based by his grace. It results in justification. And what is awesome about the word justification in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, in that verse, it is a present active participle, which simply means it's something that happened in the past, but continues to this day over and over and over and over again. As a 17-year-old, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior from sin and death. In that moment of belief, God gave to me the person and work of Jesus Christ. He justified me in that moment. And in that moment, I became right with God. And in that moment has continued to this moment and will forever be true. There has never been a moment from that point to this and in the distant future that I will ever be anything other than justified. And I cannot undo this incredible gift. But the object of faith is Jesus. It's not simply that you and I have faith. We have faith in Jesus. There are a pile of people in our world today who have faith. But it is not faith in Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith. What he offers, we are almost incapable of comprehending. And indeed, it sounds too good to be true, but it is. Everything God has done is made available to us free of charge. How many times have we heard and offered people the gift and they would not receive it simply because it sounded too good to be true? And yet it is. As a consequence of his work and this appropriation by grace through faith, there are two outcomes stated in our text. God is propitiated and God is vindicated. In verse 25, we have this incredible word. And I'm going to begin in verse 24 where it says, and are justified, a primary theological word, by his grace as a gift. And it is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Three great words are used in our passage. Justification, justified, redemption, redeemed, and propitiation or placated, satisfied. Those words have incredible historical meaning. Justified is a law court language. It refers to the law. Redemption is slavery language. It references Passover. And propitiation is temple language, the mercy seat. In Jesus Christ, you and I are declared righteous. We are set free from the sin debt. And God's wrath against us, the just sense of God against us, has been answered 
in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As a consequence of who Christ is and what Christ has done, God now is vindicated. This is a tremendous verse, verse 26. This passage collapses on this idea. How is it possible that God could be just and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus? It is because Jesus Christ died a substitutionary, sacrificial death, redeeming us from sin's debt, declaring us righteous in the legal court of law, and placating the wrath of God against us. On that basis, God is just to declare us justified. Why is this important? On what basis can God declare the sinner right? What right does he have to do such things? I could say to you, you're justified. And I could say you're justified because I'm a good guy. But your justification in that declaration would mean nothing. But God is the one who is declaring you righteous. God's accusers are silenced. His justifying of sinners is valid. He is vindicated. God himself is declared just, even as he declares sinners just. And the vindication of God rests solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So if you have faith in Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and you receive that gift, God declares you just. And on what basis can he make that declaration? The person and work of Jesus Christ. God in forgiving sinners was accused of being soft toward sin. Here at the cross, he is vindicated. God has every right to do what he has now done. But this causes three questions, and Paul addresses those three questions. The first question is found in verses 27 and 28. Then what becomes of boasting? If it's by faith and not works, what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. But what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. When you and I get to heaven, there will be no human boasting taking place. Your justification, your inclusion into the very presence of God is because of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and will be to the glory of God alone. That's what this text tells us. Does justification, the second question, by faith also include the Gentiles? Most emphatically, yes. Listen to what it says in verse 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is this pathway to God ethnically inclusive or exclusive? Is it only for the Jews? Is it not also for the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Amen and hallelujah. God included us. Everyone, everywhere. And finally, the third question, verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. It establishes the law. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He is what the law was pointing to. 
Jesus Christ does exactly what the law said he would do. In fulfilling the seed promise and completing the blood picture, Jesus fulfills every shadow promise. Now, let's remember where we began. Martin Luther was addressing this idea of works plus faith. And Martin Luther said, based on sola scriptura, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. As a consequence of Christ, that debt has been paid. The gap has been spanned. The vacuum has been filled. The shame and guilt has been covered. The stain has been removed. The alienation has been reconciled and the weight has been lifted. Amen. We come to this and this is true because the gospel is so radically good news. It's radical. It's everything that the Bible says it to be. Because the gospel is so radically good news, we seek to soften its impact by explaining away its goodness and adding disclaimers and qualifiers. But in the gospel, there are no buts or breaks. There is nothing keeping you from Jesus if you have placed your faith in him. Justification by faith alone is the core doctrine of Christianity. It divided the church in the 16th century, and that division still exists today with Protestants and Catholics on opposite sides of the dividing line. Both sides maintain that their position is in line with orthodox belief. Yet it isn't only the Roman Catholic. Many others within the extended umbrella of Christianity and world religions struggle with by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. They outright reject it. We believe it is the scripture alone which teaches us by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. What do we do with this? Have you and do you know that you can't? Many of us who are sitting here today fully recognize that we can't save ourselves. But we equally understand that God can and that Jesus did. And you and I have placed our full faith in the person and work of Jesus. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, if you cannot answer the question, where will I go when I die? Then we invite you to consider Jesus. We believe that it is only in Jesus that we can have salvation from sin and death. When we think of such lofty ideas, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we want it challenged. Perhaps we want it explained. And I say to people, if you want to debate about whether your standing before God is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, that I'm not your guy. I'm not here to argue with you as to whether or not this is true. But if you find yourself aching in your soul, you have an ache. And you recognize that if you died, you would have no idea where you are going. And if you want certainty, then I'm your guy. I can tell you about Jesus. I can tell you how God can be just in justifying those who believe in Jesus. And I can share with you the best news I have ever heard. And that is Jesus saves sinners, of whom we are the chief. Please stand with me as we close in prayer.
Our Father, this is thick. I have in no way wished to be offensive or rude. And yet there is but one way to you, and it is through your Son. It is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And unfortunately, that message is exclusive. And yet the invitation is inclusive. Father, we extend to all, under the sound of my voice, to come to Jesus. We know that this is a working of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that hearts will have been prepared and that they will understand they can't save themselves, but only Jesus can. And Father, we pray that today would be their day. For those of us who know Jesus, may this truly be a time of celebration as we reflect on the gospel. And we thank you that it was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or none of us would be saved. But because of what he has done, we can have certainty that when we die, we'll be with Jesus. And even now, we know that our standing before you is right because of Jesus. We thank you in his name. Amen.